Preakness Week is almost upon us, and racing is kicked off at Old Hilltop. Get your tickets now for Preakness 148 and Black Eyed Susan Day, which are sure to deliver some great racing, betting opportunities, and a great atmosphere. For more information, you can check out Preakness.com and keep it tuned here to InTheMoneyPodcast.com for lots of great Preakness Week coverage. We'll have more on that soon. Once again, check out Preakness.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show that we are recording on the morning of Friday, May 12th, covering the races of the 13th and a little bit into the early morning of the 14th as well as far as the JRA races in Japan go. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, but not for long, getting ready to finish up this show and head down to Florida for the big two-year-old races down there, those Royal Ascot qualifiers. I'll, I'll have a horse-by-horse write-ups of each of those over at attheraces.com if folks want to check that out. But we're here to talk about uh, a bunch of other racetracks, honestly. And to do that with me, we will bring in the man who appears on these shows so often. You know his work from InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what is shaking? Doing great, Pete. Ready for this uh, weekend. It's kind of a tweener between the uh, Derby and Preakness and Naira added some stakes races to Belmont a few years ago, and it makes for kind of a fun day as a as a light Belmont preview. Indeed. We'll have those races to talk about that we'll get to during this show, and, and those will be on the TV coverage that I'm providing uh, tomorrow for Sky Sports Racing as well. Very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts, getting stuck into those. I'm curious to see, you know, we didn't plan on talking about these Gulfstream races. I don't know if you've even looked at them yet, but um, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, it's a weird mix of uh of horses with a lot of first-time starters etc but you know kind of cool to give folks another opportunity who are looking to punch their tickets to 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 ask it did you did you have a, a quick thought on either of those races i felt like you could probably beat or at least try to get something clever tied up with the ward horses in each race yeah i thought you could get creative uh, in a couple of different ways and you know any any additional offering among two-year-olds, I'm four. Um, we were. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who has a good two-year-old that won at Churchill last week, and I, I told him that there used to be a significant amount of two-year-old racing early in the year, and yep. especially stakes. So there really aren't any more, but it would be nice to have some of those come back. So yeah, good thing in that regard. And I've got to dig into the races a little bit more, but I do think that uh, that there are some opportunities there for sure. Folks can, again, check out that full write-up that I did over at attheraces.com for my thoughts on that. Breaking news this morning. I wish we had a little breaking news sounder to play, but we don't. Uh, Mage, in fact, going to the Preakness. Not a huge surprise here at all, but very nice to hear it confirmed. Definitely, uh, it's always better when you get the Derby winner coming back in two weeks in terms of national interest in the Preakness, etc. Um what do you think? Is this horse, uh, is this one of these years where it's going to be all about uh, the, the horse or horses coming out of the Derby? Or are you uh, are, are you still looking in first missions direction as a horse who's been laid out for this assignment? I mean, I think I think they're going to dominate the market. And I think justifiably, um, obviously, everybody's going to going to back Mage um, because he's the Derby winner and he'll go off the favorite, in my opinion. But 
I think First Mission provides about as strong a contender um, uh, is as strong a contender as you're going to find in this race because he comes from a top-notch barn. They pointed directly to this, and you know it almost seems as if Brad Cox, who really hasn't been all that active in terms of bringing horses back in the Preakness, but it seems like he reached the conclusion pretty early. It's going to be first mission or bust as far as he's concerned in terms of winning this race. And he's got a a stable full of three-year-olds that would have potentially been eligible. So I think they'll, you know, they sort of dominate the attention. Uh, Obviously with two fills not going, he would have taken quite a bit of money as well. Um, I guess you'll get some support for disarm. You get a little bit of support for, I noticed that Lord Miles is mentioned now as a possibility. I can't imagine him taking an awful lot of money, not being 60 to one last time out, but there'll be a few people who want to back him to an extent, but uh, yeah, it, it looks as if Mage will, you know, if I was making a morning line on the fly right now, I'd probably make Mage eight to five and first mission five to two, which, you know, all that means is that those of us that have six to one on first mission, we can feel smart for a couple of minutes before the race. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As is so often the case with those anti-post uh, hopes, but yeah, you've got it pretty much in lockstep with what there, there are markets out there. Interestingly, the sharpest book, has yet to put up prices, which tells you maybe something. But but Mage listed in there, uh, some 11 to 8, some 6 to 4. Uh, first mission looking like 100 to 30, just over 3 to 1. Um, there is some disarm around at 12 to 1 and uh, perform at 14 to 1. Yeah, I mean, at those prices still, I would very much... Oh, uh, Blazing Seven's also listed uh, between uh, 12 to 1 and 16 to 1 at various places. But yeah, I feel like First Mission, even at those prices, is the way to go, let alone the 6 to 1 we had we, we had on offer. Uh, so I got to say, from my personal point of view, the, the Preakness Future wager was a hit. Yes. Yeah, I'm a fan. Um, uh, we'll see. I could end up looking like a complete dipshit, which doesn't happen, um, you know, more than five or 10 times a day. So, you know, it won't hurt my feelings at all. And it would just fit with the rest of my Derby day betting in terms of, of what happened. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, the bottom line is that win, lose, or draw, when you get a horse like, uh, like first mission at twice the price that he'll go off, you know, you really did get the best of the, the futures market. So, um, interesting thing I I was going to mention, and I, I, I thought of this this morning and talking about the uh, Preakness and the quick return and things like that. So Gustavo Delgado is a trainer that um, has 1,844 starts in North America. Over the last five years, uh, we'll, we'll play we'll play a little game with this, uh, with this, Pete. How many starts do you think Gustavo Delgado has with horses that are returning in 1 to 14 days? 1 to 14 days. I mean, I don't follow the circuit well enough to have – too many baked in memories of them, but I don't know. You figure it happens commonly enough that it would be something like uh, 5% of the runners. And and you said there's over a thousand. Yeah. So 84 is his, uh, is his number, which to put things in perspective, Todd Pletcher has 30 starters in that category over the last five years. So Brad Cox has 70, um, Chad Brown, I, I didn't look up is probably, you know, in the, on the lower end for sure. So the point of being, of course, that this is something Gustavo Delgado does with regularity. Yeah. He brings horses back quickly. And, and, you know, I think that's, there's something really to be said for that. Um, it's a variety of horses. Now, granted, the majority of them are cheaper. Um, they, they are heavy on claimers, heavy on maiden claimers, stuff like that. But the, you know, being a guy that 
is being credited for training this horse in such a fashion to get the extra ground, I think it's important to note that he is somebody who also knows how to get them back quickly. Yes. So that's a, that's a noteworthy item. And uh, now we'll have him back in two weeks and we're ready to rock and roll. It's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun Preakness for sure. Very much looking forward to going down there on Wednesday, going to go to that ABR party that they have every year, which is a lot of fun. If folks are going to be down as early as Wednesday, go to their site, check that out. Um, always have fun at that, seeing various racing people get a little baseball in. Doesn't look like it's going to be an Otani start on Thursday, but it'll still be a great uh, day at the ballpark, I'm sure, with the crew. And then, you know, we'll have our final answer show at some stage, trying to figure out what all of our Preakness content is going to look like, but certainly something to look forward to. Let's not go too far in the future. Let's just look at Saturday for the moment, Nick, and let's go to the first of the, the stakes races. We got grade one action in race number five, um, disconnected from those later picks is this year's man of war going a mile and three eighths. And we have an invader who really needs to be the place where we start. I think Warren point going to post with the uh, Tory up for Appleby listed as the nine to five morning line favorite, uh, on the conversion numbers that our man uh, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today, puts together, uh, that would be a pretty darn good price on Warren Point. Are you with or against to, to uh, kick off our discussion of Belmont Saturday call? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I think that at some point we're going to have to stop conceding these races to Charlie Appleby simply because he sends a horse over. But um, there's no doubt that he has done a pretty masterful job at identifying which horses are worthy of coming over, and they've performed accordingly. So, you know, with all that said, you need to be very careful about throwing any of them out, about handling them, you know, a little lightly or in a, in a cavalier type of fashion, because they're generally ready to roll. And I, Warren Point comes in off a runner-up finish in the, uh, the Amir Trophy, a Group 1 in Qatar, which was a $2.5 million race. Uh, the winner has come back and performed poorly in subsequent starts, which included the Shima Classic, where obviously he was never going to be a match for Equinox. Um, but the fifth place finisher was Broom, who came back and won the uh, Dubai Gold Cup on the World Cup night at two miles. Again, that was a two mile race. You know, not sure exactly how much it uh, it equates, but under the allowance conditions in here, interestingly, he actually gets in at 118 and he's going to get weight from the majority of these horses. And Frankie Dettori is going to come over to ride. You know, he looks like an obvious favorite. I, I think part of why he looks so obvious is because the competition in here is, is relatively weak. And this is not a division where our offering has been all that robust over the years. And, you know, some of these horses are getting a little long in the tooth. You've got Red Red Knight at nine, Channel Maker at nine. You know, these guys are, are uh, they've been around a long time. They've, they've fought the wars. Value Engineering is seven. So it looks like he might be catching all of these horses at the right time. And so I tentatively picked Red Knight. I have an affinity for Red Knight. But obviously, if uh, if Warren Point is able to produce an effort similar to his last two, I would imagine he'll be particularly tough. Though I will admit I'm concerned about just the, the overall quality of the competition that he faced in those races. It's fair. I mean, figure-wise, Dove came up with a 103 
for the last couple of runs. I mean, obviously that would be very tough. I like the fact that he's gone left-handed. I like the fact that he's handled better ground. I think he's going to be, and had the trip last time. I think he's going to be pretty tough to deny. Red Knight is a tough old customer. I was just worried if he'd get uh, any kind of setup in this spot, but that's a, a quite a reasonable alternative. I'll probably just try to stand alone in some multis with Warren Point. Any other numbers that you want on tickets beyond the one and the two? Not really. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know why the public fell so hard for Howe Street last time out, who was bet down to two to one. I'm, I'm sure they identified the erroneous morning line. Um, that is not all that surprising <laughs> given where the race occurred. But uh, Jorge Abreu, 56 race losing streak in graded stakes. I mean, he's going to need to win one before I'm on board. Well, I hear that. Katrina, what was the, no what that's, was that's, the situation? What was the, yeah, there's clearly some fluky stuff going on there, but it, but I get it at the same time. What was the, what was your line on half street for that race? I believe 10, um, there was a scratch or two. So, I mean, there definitely, there definitely were horses that uh, Chad scratched a horse that would have been, I think that I had at four. So, I mean, obviously if I had done an amended line, I would have probably had house street at six or eight, but I mean, I would have definitely not had him looking back at these PPs. Would you have ever made a morning line where he was shorter than red Knight? No, it's he went impossible. off a third of the price of Red Knight. Yeah, I don't know what the heck was going on there. Totally <laughs> impossible that you could that you could reach that conclusion. I mean, I'm not sure. I I I think I had House Street a little bit longer than Channel Maker, which I get it. I mean, he could have been a shorter price than Channel Maker. I had him. I definitely had him longer than Value Engineering, and and he went off a point shorter than Value Engineering. It was just an insane amount of money, almost as if the public became totally caught up in the fresh face and stuff like that. And so I was waiting for the CAWs to come in and kind of correct it at the end. And they went hard on house street. <laughs> I mean, it was a nice run, the, the, the run, uh, the run two back at Gulfstream, but it was, yeah, big question how that form was going to go. Granted as bad as that last running line looks for house street did end up, you know, it's kind of attacking early and just emptying out. I could see a bounce back, but boy, I don't know. In, in this, in this group, I feel like if Warren Point runs anything like those representative races, I'd have trouble seeing how Street beat them. It, it, it feels like the horse that the horse that's recently run anything like what it would take to beat Warren Point is in fact uh, Red Knight. So I, I hear where you're going with that. I'm going to stand alone though and see if I can get Warren Point here to start some picks. Speaking of picks, the pick six begins in race number six. More graded stakes action with the grade three Peter Pan for the three-year-olds going a mile and an eighth on the dirt, a race that uh, can yield us from time to time. Starters for the Belmont Stakes, I guess, was Tonalist the last one, Nick, who uh, who did that double? Tonalist was the last uh, Peter Pan Belmont winner, yes. Um, we did have a starter last year uh, in We the People who went off, uh, I think, the third choice? Yeah, Second or third choice? Yeah. So, and- yeah, he won the Peter Pan and then went there. My interesting, my, my, I don't know if it's interesting. My thought here is my, my horse to win this race is probably the master of the obvious horse. That would be Bishop's Bay. Fastest figs felt like there was an excuse for the figure regression last time in terms of the trip. And I thought we'd get an absolutely perfect trip in here, but the interesting horse for the Belmont could be the number one runner. I thought Archangelo, this runner who was very nice in winning the maiden the last day, uplined on the time form U.S. pace figures 
suggesting that added ground, you know, shaping like the added ground would be his friend. You dig around in the female side of his pedigree a little bit, and you got lots of Belmont, uh, you got lots of Belmont blood bumping around in there. I, I think this horse is a little bit interesting on Saturday and, and potentially potentially very interesting going forward if he were to take another step up. Not sure if he's going to beat Bishop's Bay on the day, but those were the two numbers I was the most interested in, the nine and the one. How do you see the Peter Pan this year? No, I, I picked Archangelo. So, I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I, um, I think he's a really, he's an interesting horse and, and, you know, you don't see Jenna Antonucci horses go off relatively short prices in, in bulky fields at Gulfstream all that often. This is a horse who obviously tipped his hand a little bit early in his, in his career, probably in his training. And I think that, uh, you know, that likely helped a lot of people get a little bit hip to him. Um, and so I, I, I want to try him. He's going to be the best price of the horses who I think can win. Both Magical Power and Mr. McGregor came out of the last race that uh, that Archangelo won and came back and ran very well at Keeneland. Uh, Mr. McGregor improved his buyer speed figure by 19 points in a, in a good runner-up effort. And uh, Magical Power improved his by three in a runner-up effort of his own. So that race seems to be holding up well. He came back and trained well at Belmont. I like him. Slip Mahoney, incidentally, is going to go to Jersey and is going to run in the Long Branch. So he'll be scratched out of here. You know, my Bishop's Bay take, Pete, I know he had that early trouble last time. I don't know really if it mattered, all things considered, because he's a speed horse that wanted to be forward and he really didn't lose any position. I don't love the way he finished that race. This is a horse who's bred really to excel with distance. And he didn't exactly look like he was dying for any additional ground. Um, Demolition Duke, who was second in there, came back and ran fifth in the Lexington. He at least duplicated the buyer speed figure that he earned in that race at fairground. So, you know, it wasn't a wasn't a performance that doesn't hold up to the sniff test. This is just not a horse I want to take at eight to five or so. And you can feel like the public is really going to get in his corner, um, just assuming that he's going to get a great trip on the outside. It's Brad Cox, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I, I picked it... Uh, I picked it one nine, and I'll use both, but but I'm going to make a win bet on Archangelo. You make a good you make a good case for a horse in, in the direction I was you know half half leaning anyway with Archangelo. I, I'll I'll probably play those two pretty equally given the value you're going to get on the one runner. But yeah, I'm not going to be a hero trying to knock Bishop's Bay out of there, and it doesn't sound like you are either. Let's go to race number seven, the start of the late pick five. We've got this New York bred maiden claiming 40 going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Nick, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, uh, you know, a race where, to be perfectly honest, Pete, I want the the first AE to get in. Yes. Mama Band Me, who um, who ran a, a better race than it looks on paper last time out. The blinkers are going on, which should sharpen him up a little bit early. This is a good damn side pedigree for turf. That's why I kind of like this horse last time and um i think he got a little out of position i don't know maybe if trevor thought they were going faster than they were but he ended up being significantly farther back than he needed to be in order to make an impact so i i'm willing to give him another another opportunity off of that race so if he doesn't get in um my pick is going to be the seven tunnel vision there's a, a real turf family on the damn side here this is an alpha delta family that includes cades bay uh, RY Squadron was a horse who improved quite a bit on the turf. The problem is he's a mineshaft, right? Which just is, is a totally negative turf influence. But, you know, in Maker, I trust as far as, as these surface switches go. And the problem, Pete, is when you look through this race, it's awfully hard to embrace anybody. The experienced horses don't, don't really strike your fancy. Uh, the one waffler 
is a half to Maximova and another turf winner. So there is some turf on the dam side. Dave Donk, not exactly a guy who you, you really bank on first out with older horses. Your mission will probably be the favorite new to the barn of Jorge Abreu. He lost it even money at this level two starts back for Todd Pletcher. I like Jorge Abreu, but I'm not sure how much he's moving horses up off of Todd Pletcher off of long layoffs. And you're going to have to swallow a really short price on that horse. I think that's fair. Um, I'm with you on having the 13 on top. First time in a claimer as a gelding, competitive against better, looks the best closer, just lots of obvious things. I was hoping the barn switch might like throw people off and you actually would get something like the five to two on your mission. You may well be right that the numbers, um, Dick, they bet the horse as if it was still in the Pletcher barn, in which case probably will be too short. But I do just like the fact that Abreu is so good off layoffs and I just thought might be able to work out a trip with the has enough speed to maybe get position and enough finish to to maybe beat this. The what I think is, despite the fact that it ran at the same level that other race, I think this is still a little bit weaker of a field than that day. So I do want some fours around. And then you made the case on the seven, which I I will just sum up with the in maker we trust part. You know, I I've, he just is so good whenever making just making changes in general just seems to be something that works out when you're maker and you make a great point about the female influence. So 1347 for me looking to survive in advance. Will you use the one on a couple of tickets for Doc? Are you going to take a wait and see approach? Um, I mean, given that this will, I'll take a wait and see in terms of scratches. If mama band me gets in, I'll be 713 only. If she, if he doesn't, then I might be inclined to include this horse maybe a little bit more as a backup. I I will admit that this is a, you know, barring a a carryover, this is a tough pick six sequence to really wrap your hands around. Um, They didn't do us any favors putting Warren Point out of it. So, you know, I I can't imagine I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in for a heavy amount in this race. But yeah, if given the opportunity, should the, uh, the 13 not get in, I could see including him maybe as a backup. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I mean, I agree. I don't think I don't really think Donk first out at all, and especially not in a situation like this. But this horse is going to be a huge price, and you just look at this. You know, you got Temple City. That's Dynaform blood, and the Sadler's Wells. Uh, you know, uh, on the bottom. I mean, this this horse uh, on on sort of theoretical class has a has, might have something to say in this race. I'm actually going to throw in some ones as a deeper as a deeper backup myself based on the case. As you talk yourself into the horse. <laughs> I let you half talk me into it. And then I took it the rest of the way. There I mean, go. just as, just as a price, you make a key point though. If the th- it, be- it becomes much more interesting if the 13 doesn't get in and we're really, you know, then, then you're really in a place where you, where, where you're trying to find something to hang on to in this spot. Exactly. We got more New York bread action on the turf and race number eight allowance race three and up going six furlongs on the inner. I was trying to get a little bit creative in here. You could tell me if it's being too clever by half. I thought that the nine was a little interesting. Starquist, and this one requires some imagination, but I always like horses whose figures improve significantly on the new surface. And this one just to me seemed very much like he'd be suited by the turn back and distance looking at that 105 time form US pace figure to the six furlong mark in the longer race last time. I wanted to keep on side. Feathers Road, the one, was another horse I thought would be a price that you could tell a story about with the good draw, could improve second time off the layoff, and does have that form that ties in closely to the likely favorite, Hay Mackett's Jack. I was going to use Hay Mackett's Jack as well. Has run well over these light, longer turf sprints in New York, and I thought would possibly prove the best speed, whether it was 
from an on-the-engine run or maybe a, a stalk-and-pounce type of a run behind a, a runner like Sandrone. So I was mostly going to factor on the 9, 1, and 6. This was a race, though, where I felt like there was a lot of different ways you could go. wouldn't be surprised if you have three different numbers. Where did you end up? I kind of have three different numbers. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's that kind of race. No, and, and hey, Mac, it's Jack is a horse that that I have no no argument with at all. I, I picked the horse third. Um, I'm not exactly certain that this is the 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 perfect scenario, but it's pretty pretty damn close, right? He six furlongs in a in a pace stalking role with the other speed basically immediately to his inside. He's supposed to get a very good trip, yes. very favorable trip. Um, so I, I don't, I don't have any argument with that at all. Um, the horse, I picked Athenry who I, I kind of, I've always sort of liked. Um, he has a little, he's had some issues finishing the deal on a couple of occasions. That fourth place finished at Saratoga back in July of last year. I mean, if you go back, he had a really good trip and he should have won, but he came up a little bit empty. So I'm a little concerned about that, but he did end his, his turf season at least last year very well. This is a horse who a lot of people I think are going to get turned off to by a bad last running line. And, and that running line is totally irrelevant. Okay. Michelle Nevin has a couple of wins at the meet. She uh, is 16% with turf horses off of 100 to 200 day layoffs, 244 ROI. I felt like this horse could come back maybe in, in, in good form. And I know it's going way back and it was against inferior horses, but the way that this horse proved he was a turf horse was in the two races with Kendra Carmouche. So I'm hoping that maybe they're just a, a good fit for each other. The the other horse that I wanted to try and squeeze in there was 26 black. And I know that he looks a little, looks a little slow, but um, if you go back and watch his maiden race, I mean, this horse, arguably, I don't like engaging in this kind of activity. And I preface that by saying I'm about to do it. If this horse has had a clean run, he probably wins that race by two or three lengths he gets an upper 70s figure, and he's one of the favorites in here. If you go back and watch that replay, the horse is absolutely loaded, locked in on the rail until very, very late, and Manny gets him out, and he just erupts and runs by the field. It's all coming together. came back and won at uh, Belmont on Saturday while everybody was focused on Churchill. Um, so it's a race that has at least come back with a little bit of quality. And I'm, I, I find Horacio de Paz to be very scary. He's a guy who wins a lot, and he wins a lot with horses that look obvious. So... I picked it two, seven, six. I'm going to use all three. The Feathers Road argument that you started, I think the best thing I can say about him is he was way too close last time. He's a horse who's a total drop back one run. Um, he didn't didn't run a pace figure that was all that fast. But again, I mean, that's an early season turf course at Aqueduct that could play a little bit differently than what he's going to run on here. The blinkers going on probably uh, do make him a bit slower early, which I think might help. Yeah, I'm hoping that. I mean, I really was just trying to forgive that last race for the 230 days off. And like you said, weird early season turf races. And I feel like there was also some market signal maybe too that he wasn't ready to to, to run his best. I mean, it's a it's a reach. I mean, I think every number we mentioned um, between the two of us will be on will be on my tickets uh, trying to get our way through race number eight. We're back to graded stakes in race nine. It's the run happy. We're going six furlongs with a field of six interesting here um, in terms of competitiveness, six runners, but none longer than six to one on the morning line. Is it as competitive as the morning line suggests to you, Nick? Yeah, it really is. I mean, you have no standout on figures. You have no, you know, big pace edge with any of these horses. So yeah, it ended up coming together a really, a really interesting race. And I went back to my old friend drafted who, uh, who I think is probably when push comes to shove, he might just be the best horse in the race. 
I think he had a real excuse for the Tom Fool. He didn't get out of the gate all that great. And then he was along the inside for much of the first half mile before he angled out very wide. He spun his wheels a little bit when he angled out um, in a race where the pace really just never came apart. So I think, and I also think that the likes of, of Little Vic and running Son of a Gun and Nakatomi are just much, much better than anything he's facing in here. Feels like there'll be a real pace as well. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to fly, but Twisted Ride and, and uh, Candyman Rocket want to be forward. Baron's not going to be too far back. And obviously pace is Mr. Phil's game. So I think things will set up okay for Drafted, who, uh, you know, has come into his own in the last year or so. And this is a horse that I've, uh, I've always kind of liked. So I think he'll... He'll, he'll be able to run him down late. I'll use the one and four primarily, maybe back up a little bit with the two. What were you thinking in terms of an excuse for the for the four the last day? Did you have anything or was it just sort of like a, a more of an in Mott we trust kind of a, a play? Um, yeah, sort of a, of a Mott has had horses run poorly at Oaklawn consistently. And, you know, Oakland's a tough place. And the problem with those sprint races, especially when you get a super fast horse like Skelly, get out and start setting the pace. And and I just think it can grind everybody down. So the fact that he did no running whatsoever probably makes me a little, a little less inclined to give him an excuse. But I'm going to draw a line through it. And if that's a mistake, then hopefully, uh, hopefully drafted wins. And if right. I, you know, if, if not, then, you know, I took my shot. It's a tricky race. I, I mean, I really think I want to have four different numbers on tickets here. Honestly, it's a tricky, tricky pick six. I put Mr. Phil on top. This is another one of these uh, second off layoff type horses. I thought the comebacker was it was good enough. I like the fact that the horse uplined again on the time form U.S. pace figures has the strong record around Belmont. And I was liking the fact that in what I think could be a little bit of a rider's race, Franco, who's so good in these sprints around here, drawn outside, has lots of options. But boy, you can talk about so many of these. I I have Candyman Rocket in the mix. If you can forgive that last run, I mean Baron just makes sense on the known form. And then drafted, I you know I I I don't love because I'm scared about being last in the field of six. But if the pace heats up at all, or it's playing to tracks, playing to closers at all, he does. Uh, he does have uh, big claims. I guess we really have the same angle here in a way, Nick, where we're both against the horses with the Lasix questions. I mean, if not fully against it, not, not picking uh, the horses with the Lasix questions, the three and the five. Yeah, well, and I guess I, you know, I would say to you, are you, do you not think that Mr. Phil has Lasix questions? I mean, do you worry at least that his, I understand the true North was against Jackie's warrior and he, the tail of the cat precipitated a or, or preceded a, a gigantic layoff. But I mean, you do have to be at least a little bit concerned that this horse's best races have all come with Lasix. They definitely have. It, it is a valid concern. I was hoping to be compensated enough in price. I mean, I guess stage left will be a price too. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm contradicting myself a, a little bit with that, but no, he's yeah. more of a Lasix worry than, than Mr. Phil. I mean, because first of all, Jacobson's 0 for six switching off of Lasix with two in the money and, and stage left is a horse that, that just, I mean, he looks like a horse that needs Lasix, yeah. right? He's an old claimer who now has been kind of refurbed. These horses generally don't run as well when they come off of Lasix. So yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a real excuse there. Um, additionally, on Candyman Rocket, just something to keep in mind. Last five years in stakes races, graded or not, at Oaklawn, Bill Mott's one for 17 with a 19-cent ROI. That one winner was Frank's Rocket in the American Beauty back in 2021 at 3-5. to five. So he has just had – and, I mean, the horses on this list 
are are good Bill Mod horses. Elate, Tacitus, Harvey's Little Goyle, uh, Frank's Rocket, Rocket Can, socially selective. I mean, these are horses that that have consistently run well elsewhere. They've just totally underperformed at Oaklawn. So maybe that's maybe I'm I'm now going overboard making my case for why Candyman Rocket slash race. I like it. No, I like this was a horse I wanted reasons to use, and I have no idea why that would be the case. But we've seen it. We've seen it with other barns too. There's just, there's some places they click and some places they don't. And surely not for lack of trying with uh, an important owner being, uh, you know, so, so tucked, so tied in at, at Oaklawn with, with, with Fletcher. And it's not like it's for lack of paying attention or wanting them to win, but you know, those stats are, they're daunting. And then let's see if we can maybe get a little bit of a bounce back there in the run. Happy. We'll move on to these last two races Race 10 is a three-year-old allowance for Phillies going a mile and a 16th on the turf. We've got a field of 10 going postward here. I I came around. I, I don't want to say came around. I, I sort of went there and back again and came around to, to favorites in this spot. I ended up with the six free look as my preferred runner um, coming out of that common race. That race has produced very good form when looking at next out figures. And I thought, she was just simply compromised by being far back early in a race that uh, suited the front runners. Um, so I like Free Look's chance to reverse form on those two and be in the mix here. Spansive, the nine, very good on debut. Wire to wire, controlling a slow pace and maybe flattered in that regard. But I thought the manner in which she finished suggests a type that doesn't necessarily need the lead. And that's form also that's working out well with a couple of next out winners. And then I didn't want to ignore Get Your Kicks, the eight. Um, Ran very inefficiently early in that run. So now the form of that race is working out poorly, but I'm just thinking get your kicks could have a lot more in the locker with a more efficient run through. I was going to mess around six, nine and eight in race number 10. How did you see it? Yeah. I mean, you've covered the principles without question. The, the race that you mentioned, the Florida Oaks, um, that, that was in the middle of the NHC and, and I was watching it, you know, it felt like I was watching it through a telescope from where <laughs> we were sitting. And so I, you know, I noticed some of what was going on, but I, I admit I didn't really watch the replay, um, until I, I started handicapping this race and I have no idea what the hell Irad was doing on this horse. I mean, this was just, she was out of position the whole way for the way that race unfolded. Um, I don't think she's some big drop back one run closer, and, and I'm hoping that she's allowed to stay much more within range in here. I'm not saying I want her on the lead or anywhere close to it, but I mean, she should be much, much closer early than she was in there. And then he angled her out into the parking lot coming around the turn. So that there was just no way that she was ever going to make an impact in that race. Um, so she's the one that I wanted to bet back. And, you know, I, I, I believe that David Aragona's morning line is right in that she'll be the third choice in here on speed figure. She looks like the third choice. The other thing is that, you know, you get Irad to go on the, on one, uh, get your kicks and Manny doesn't command the attention in the market that Irad does. So I'm, I'm intrigued by her. I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to single her in my multi-race stuff. Um, I think this is an, a point where you've got to get a little aggressive and you've got to take an alternative to these two last out maiden winners. You, you said what the important points on both get your kicks expansive. And I think when, if you handicapped that card and you looked at their respective races, you knew the race with Spansive had some good horses in it. You knew the race with Get Your Kicks stunk on paper, right? right? I mean, it, it was just not, there were not a lot of good horses in that race. There were no pedigrees. The experienced horses were were not that impressive. And Get Your Kicks buried them. 
right? I mean, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. There was never an anxious moment. I mean, she won a turf race by five plus lengths. So, you know, it doesn't say much about what was behind her. So I'm not all that concerned that they've come back and run poorly. The thing about the two horses that have come back and run well from Spansive's race is that one of them was prerequisite who won on Sunday at, at Belmont and she had a trip in, in the Spansive race. Um, she also got no pace setup whatsoever. And Glorious Princess, who was the other next out winner, wired a field at Churchill. And so she got loose on a course that might be a little bit tilted towards front running types. So, you know, I, I'd use if, if you're if you like one, you're probably supposed to use both. I would use them just as backups. Again, I'm going to get more bullish with Free Look, who I think uh, just this might be the exact right time to bet on Free Look. So Free Look is a lone A. What would your B's or C's be if you have any or is it Stone Cold? I mean, if if necessary, I'd use the eight and nine. But I mean, mainly, especially in terms of the pick five and stuff, I'm going to be I'm going to be free looking. That's it. I think that does make the most sense from a game theory slash wagering point of view, and that's probably why I went with that one on top as well. And I don't think you know that rider change isn't something that 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 I find overly concerning in this uh, in this spot. Nightcap is. Three and up, New York bred, maiden claiming fillies at the $40,000 level. Six furlongs on the inner turf. Nick, how are we going to get paid? You know, Pete, I, I spent a lot of time looking through this race trying to find anything clever that I possibly could. I largely came up empty. I'm just going to use two horses. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm going to use the one and the eight. I picked the eight on top, Mommy Joe Dreams, new to the care of Dave Duggan. She made one prior start on turf behind Moon Age Daydream, who ended up being a really nice turf horse. And uh, she didn't get out of the gate all that great. Broke outward right after the start, breaking from the 12th post. Duggan's done well with new arrivals to his barn. She gets Lasix for the first time. She really does look like the main speed on paper. So I'm kind of hoping that Trevor just puts her on the lead and that's it. The one boss of all, Linda had two wins yesterday. I love street bosses on the turf. Uh, The damned two wins were both on the turf. So there's real turf move up pedigree. Rick Shawsberg, I guess, just didn't really have an opportunity to get this one to turf after he entered her for turf in her debut, and um, and she ended up staying in a race taken off of it. So that, that's where I'm going to go. There's there's second family turf pedigree as well. Ouchie Knight's the second dam. She produced Succulent, who broke her maiden on the turf last week. I, I, if I don't use just two, I could use six. And I don't want to use six because this race is, uh, is just not – it's too difficult to do that. If you want to – Ask me who who were the next tier, the 9 and 11 would be the next group that I would use after those two. But give me two horses that are going to be interesting prices. I had them both listed in my reckoning of the race as interesting possible improvers. Boss of all, you hit the pedigree angles there. And then the eight, uh, Mommy Joe Dreams has that, uh, has that, you know, the best run is a turf run. And like you said, with that speed could be, could be out there. Another one whose best run is a turf run. And I was going to look at on that basis alone was the six Irish Empress. I wanted to have a little bit of a uh, little bit of Irish Empress as, as one that could score at a big price, but let's talk about the favorite for a minute. Cause I did, I did put George's vice on top, just sort of master of the obvious based on the known form and figures getting the critical drop. And I thought would probably be able to work out a reasonable trip from the second tier. I mean, I wouldn't be super interested at a very short price, but I'm interested that you, you left out completely. What, what's your knock on George's vice? You know, my, my take on these kind of Christoph Clement horses is that they're generally ready first out. And this is the horse who went off five to one in a big field. And she was awful. She did no running at all. I watched the replay back twice to see if I was missing something. 
no running whatsoever. I mean, stuck inside, tried to angle out at the top of the stretch, didn't have enough horse to angle out. Everybody ran by her late. He's going right to 40 here because he knows this horse is not very good. Yep. And I'm not shocked that a unified um, that they somehow paid 155 grand for is not working out. I just, I wanted to take a more critical approach of this. I'll tell you the other thing, Pete, and this might be something that not that many people are concerned with. I also worried in a situation like this, Joel is going to let this horse lose too much ground early. And, and I just, I, I don't think that horses of this caliber can start making up significant amounts of ground. So yeah. that was my take. I mean, I would have picked her fifth if I had a, an opportunity to do so. She's just a favorite I'd like to take a stand against. Yeah, from a value point of view, I completely... Uh, she provides I, no value, exactly. <laughs> I would like to see Joel give one of his more aggressive rides, hoping she can stick closer um, against this lesser level of competition. I was almost just, you know, forgiving the last race. Not that it was some super strong maiden special weight or something, but this is this is definitely a weaker group. And I was hoping for a little bit of a wake up with the right kind of Joel ride. What's been up with him lately, but we'll, we'll close with that because we're way over time already today. But while we're talking about Joel, what's been going on with him? Well, I was going to say to you, if you're looking for one of his more aggressive rides, RTN only goes back to 2010. So um, it's going to be a little tricky in terms of finding it. And, and, and don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Joel. Joel has been my favorite rider for years. Um, he's just not, He's just, it's not clicking right now. He's hes a little too, when Joel is struggling, what he does is he lets everything lose contact. And, and Joel is a lot like Garrett Gomez like that. I remember Garrett Gomez, uh, God rest his soul, riding at Mammoth in 2010 when, uh, when they had the elite summer meet and everybody was joking about how he dragged every horse back to last. And, and he did. And that was something that he did when he was riding poorly. That's what happened. And Joel did that a couple of times last week with horses that he just gave no opportunity to win. And, and he had that happen yesterday in a dirt race and I tweeted it. And I mean, it was just, this was a horse that was like, I mean, done and dusted the whole way this horse was supposed to win. And he ended up losing the race. And, and it's those kind of things that happen. And I think so much of this, and I'm not somebody that wants to bash riders. I think what they do is exceptionally difficult. And I admire, you know, their tenacity and their athleticism and things like that. The problem is that you're talking about an endeavor that's a series of split second decisions. And, you know, you think about any of us that are faced with having to make just a few split second decisions. Once you make one bad one, you're totally ruined right? You're almost totally ruined. You, you very rarely have that opportunity to fix it right away. And I think that's the problem is that when Joel is running into an issue right now, it's all falling apart. And, and you think about the all-time great riders over time, of which he's one of them, they were always able to fix what went wrong immediately. You know, you think about Ramon Dominguez. Ramon Dominguez may have steadied at some point, but he always got himself right back to the right spot. And if he got in tight, he might steady, but he'd only steady a little, whereas some other guys would stand up all the way and lose five lengths. So it's, it's, it's going to be a matter of Joel getting to a point where he starts to win again and get some confidence back because his confidence really is not very high right now. For that matter, neither is Irad Ortiz's, who's not had a good spring um, since he left Florida either. And these are guys, obviously, that are going to win a lot of races. They're going to do so when they start to get some confidence back. I think you make a great point about the connection between confidence and split second decisions. That is probably why, and we'll have to ask some writer friends about this, but that, that my off the cuff here hypothesis is that the, it, the confidence is what leads to the better decision-making. And then that when you're when you don't have confidence, it leads to that more hesitancy, which leads to 
worse split second decisions, which puts you in a jackpot frequently. Hopefully he'll get out of it soon. I agree with you. I really like him as a rider. I don't think you're, I don't think you're getting much um, value for the reputation right at this moment, but that can turn on a dime. We've seen it before and I'm not going to use it to be betting against horses, though I do understand why it makes you, you know, hesitant to take a short price on a horse that definitely does need to work out a trip. All right. We are way over time, my friend. Sorry, I kept you so long, but I was having too much fun. We've got a lot more coming up on the show, including uh, Scott Shapiro talking about Churchill Downs, and we'll get to that right after this. We are happy to once again be partnered with the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the KTDF and have led to an incredible enhancement to the Kentucky racing scene. KTDF dollars in purses are only for Kentucky bred horses, so breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and return on racing and breeding investments. Because of the benefits from the KTDF, Churchill Downs Racing and Kentucky Racing as a whole continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory. To learn more, please check out inthemoneypodcast.com slash KTDF. Next up, as promised in this segment brought to you by our friends at the KTDF, we have from Twinspires.com and the Churchill Downs simulcast feed, Scott Shapiro. Scott, what's going on? What's up, Pete? Happy post-derby week. Hope you had a uh, good time here in uh, in Kentucky last week. And uh, yeah, we're kind of into the meat and potatoes portion of the uh, meat here. A couple months of that. You know, looking forward to uh, hopefully taking advantage of some turfway opinions I had. You know, not everybody following that circuit. And uh, yeah, some hopefully good turf racing along with some good dirt racing. That's actually a great place to start, not just because it ties into the sort of sponsor mission of a year-round racing circuit in Kentucky, but because we've really seen it on display. These Turfway horses, more competitive than ever before. If you're thinking about downgrading form coming out of there, I think you're making a mistake. Is that fair to say from what we've seen so far at the Churchill Downs meet? No, I think that's a great call. And last year, I didn't follow Turfway quite as much, and I followed Oakland uh, much more, you know, on the regular basis. And I got caught a number of times underestimating the Turfway Park form. You know, there certainly are some levels there in certain races that are a, a cut below, if not two below, what we see here at Churchill. But there's also races there that are equally or more competitive. There's full fields throughout. So don't make the assumption that these horses are moving up in class because they're coming in from Florence. Certainly Certainly there's horses coming in from New Orleans and, and Oakland and Gulfstream and whatnot that have some class, but but the racing at Turfway continues to get better. The purses continue to get bigger and they're full fields and you got to earn a lot of those wins in Florence. So I, I'm totally on board with the product there and would agree that uh, if people are going to overlook the horses coming in from Turfway, it might be an opportunity to take advantage. Speaking of full fields, we've got plenty of them on this card. Um, you know, it may not be the stakes-laden stuff we had last weekend, but plenty of great action for your betting dollar. We're going to start off talking about race number seven, which is an allowance race going a mile and three eighths on the turf and an oversubscribed field turning up here. In terms of this late pick five, Scott, uh, what numbers are going to be on your tickets to kick things off? Yeah, well, hopefully we'll remain on the turf tomorrow. Rain's been in the forecast uh, for a number of days. Hasn't really happened yet, so we'll cross our fingers. And the main way I'm going to play this race is fading one of the choices in here, number nine, Giroux, who's two for 27, hasn't won in ages, and continues to take live support because of the connections and because of hitting the board in those starts. So I'm going to fade Giroux. Uh, if you 
a lot of these horses are exiting the April 19th race at Keeneland, which was a, a, an interesting race and one where the number 12 foreign relations was much the best. But if you recall, this horse lugged in badly. And fortunately, uh, you know, this one was unscathed, but other ones came out. We're not so fortunate. That's the horse to beat in here, Pete, the five-year-old gelding who uh, can definitely finish. A little bit of a tricky outside draw, but in the t my top pick, I landed a number one trending who um, moves back to the side off the short freshening for Shug McGehee. He's my top pick in here. I'm also going to use at a big price, number seven, Princely. Hasn't done all that much running of late for Ken McPeak, but there's some turf pedigree on the damn side of her a half to first premio who won four races on the turf, including the 2019 Colonel Bradley at Fairgrounds. And I'm also going to include always above. So that is one, seven, eight, and 12 in the seventh. All right. I... It put maybe lazily the 12 on top, just coming out uh, so far the best on numbers with foreign relations. Hopefully that uh, lugging in wasn't a sign of any uh, any larger issue. And I think, you know, if a trip can be worked out there, the numbers suggest he's got enough in hand to, to make it go. Definitely liked your, your case on uh, the one runner trending as well, who I have in the mix. And the bomb that I'll mention, I think will be a bomb anyway, is um, is number uh, number six in this race. That's this horse, Bold Lucker. Looker, excuse me. This is just one of those closing into a slow-paced angle in that uh, foreign relations race. Obviously has a ton to find in terms of uh, in terms of lengths with foreign relations. But I was just thinking if they went fast enough, this was one who could stick around for a piece. Has that angle. I'm always hammering on about, about running a co-top figure or, you know, a, a, one of the best races the horses run being on the new surface. So a little bit interested in bold looker as well to kick things off. Let's move. And I share your uh, trying to oppose Jarreau in that spot. Let's go to race number eight. We've got $75,000 claimers. We're going a mile on the turf. And the horse that I wanted to ask you about is not fast enough on paper, but I thought maybe has enough of a pace advantage and enough closing ability to, uh, to get the job done in this space. And I think will be a good price. That's the number seven, Triple Elvis. Any any count for that runner in here and what numbers will you be looking to include? No, interesting you mentioned it. There's just not a lot of legitimate one-turn type speed in here. And, of course, the one-mile configuration here at Churchill is a one-turn race. And it looks like, especially with the addition of blinkers on the stretch-out, Triple Elvis should find himself alone on the lead for Jordan Blair, a uh, very solid trainer, young trainer that I uh, think quite a bit of. So I certainly could see Triple Elvis, especially at the 10-to-1 morning line price. I ended up picking for second. I thought number three, Crump, one of the two Brendan Walsh runners in here, Walsh holds a strong hand and he's been on fire of late including that big Kentucky Oaks win with pretty mischievous same connections with Crump Tyler Gaffleone will be aboard and this horse I've really kind of faded throughout much of his career but he takes his first drop into the claiming ranks he should get a perfect trip with, with the lack of early speed I think he should be sitting second or third under Tyler Gaffleone he's hit the board in two of three at Churchill and I think maybe the one turn mile will be right up his alley so I landed on Crump I think Tapu the other Walsh runner the five the two morning line favorite makes sense, but I definitely can see why you're going to try to get the uh, jump on him with number seven, triple Elvis and what looks like a pretty paceless race. I'm not going to let that one beat me three, seven and five for you. Any other numbers to name check? 
I mean, the nine is, you know, maybe on the cutback and, you know, been on the turf, the dirt, but looks a little slow. Seven flat to me, maybe a little interesting second off the long layoff, but the lone win came over the slop, albeit it was over this one turn mile configuration. And then single ruler would be maybe a backup for me coming out of the uh, big grade two races down in Louisiana, the Risen Star and Louisiana Derby. I just don't know if older horses in the cutback to the one turn mile will be up his alley at seven to two. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with three and the three and then I like your seven as a use, must use, and then the five would be my main backup. All right. I like the sound of that very much. Let's talk about race number nine. The allowance ranks once again for Phillies and Mares, six furlongs and a big field of 12. Scott, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I think uh, I like the horses exiting the April 15th Keeneland second level allowance event. And for those contest players, this was the deciding race in that Keeneland contest that uh, the big money was paid out after this one. It was won by Tarabi in a tight three-horse blanket. Tarabi, a stakes-level type runner for Cherie DeVoe. And I thought Ironic Twist, the 12-horse, ran really big and hit her first start off the freshening first start in Kentucky for trainer Mark Glatt. Lost by three-quarters of a length, but did a lot of the dirty work, battling with Top Gun Girl on the front end, who's also in this field, and disposing of that Wesley Ward runner before, just not having enough in the final strides to hold off uh, Tarabi and You're So Cilia, who's also in here. I like Ironic Twist on, on the, with the outside post to break through for her third career win, and I'm also going to use the aforementioned You're So Cilia, who was happy to get back to the dirt after wintering over the all-weather surface at Turfway, which we talked about. Didn't wasn't with the same horse there, Pete, as she was in her races on the dirt. She won her lone start here at Churchill and just a different horse on the dirt. So I'm just too deep in here with number five, you're so cilia, and my top pick, number twelve, ironic twist. I was interested in both those and had them both listed as B's coming out of that common race. But I wanted to try to get a little bit of cute. And this runner's coming off a very long layoff. So, you know, maybe there'll be some signal um, in terms of tote or paddock inspection to push us one way or another. But the 10 Mufi, I just, I mean, it was ages ago and it was three to five. But I really did like that race um, back then. And just looking through this runner's PPs, she's coming out of some live races. I do feel like uh, Jonathan Thomas has this club in his bag to get horses ready off of these longer layoffs at 12 to one. Mufi would be another one I might consider including in this, uh, in this ninth race. Let's talk about the featured race of the day. The William Walker stakes. We're going five and a half furlongs on the turf. I'm super boring in here. I'll, I'll just show my hand that I was having trouble seeing past gaslight dancer who ran so well last time has the right type of running style for these five and a half furlong races. I thought, you know, should be even sharper second race of the season, second race off the layoff. I was going to stick with maker and gaff Leone. Is it as simple as gaslight dancer? Or do you want to pull in some other numbers here? I'm with you. You know, I went into the start of this race and handicapping it thinking, well, I'm going to try to potentially beat gaslight dancer as a two to one favorite. She got, or he, sorry, got an absolutely dream run in the Palisades in that first start off the bench. A number of horses here exiting that $250,000 event at Keeneland. But the way it shakes out, and like you said, kind of just has that right style, if you will, should get another perfect trip here uh, in the second start off the bench. Tyler Gaffleon will remain aboard. I think, uh, you know, you often can see these turf sprinters rattle off a number of victories in a row. The races aren't super hard on them. They kind of can be robotic for lack of a better word my alternative in here pete 
You know, I don't know how much early speed there is for a race of this nature. No, nay Hudson has some early zip. Um, maybe, you know, that's about it other than the crispy cat who didn't make the lead in the Palisades, but did make the front in the race before that the Texas glitter battled all the way around and put that field away. That was at five furlongs. We know the Gulfstream park turf can play different than some of the turf courses here in Kentucky. But I thought with Ricardo Santana Jr. aboard, this horse might be able to make a loose and lonely lead. Perhaps that won't happen with no nay Hudson, but I thought maybe as a backup, you could make a case for crispy cat. I'm two with six, seven in here. Private Creed has not really moved forward as I would have thought as a three-year-old had that real good uh, two-year-old campaign, but uh, hasn't really taken that step forward. So I thought maybe a fade was especially with the lack of early speed, but I totally understand singling gaslight dancer on the majority of tickets. Yeah, I think for the pace to develop, Gilcrease would probably have to be the one to right. gun down there at the inside. And who knows if he's up to that uh, up to that level, which is partially why I saw Gaslight yeah. sitting in the slipstream and attacking on the turn. But that's an interesting case. I mean, you never you never go too wrong trying to come up with. Uh, whoever it is you perceive as having a good case to be the best of speed in these five and a half furlong races. And, and maybe I will take a little bit of a one backup line anyway with, with a runner like Crispy Cat on your say-so. We close things out with a maiden claimer, but not your ordinary maiden claimer, $100,000 maiden claimer. We're going six furlongs on the dirt. Who do you like to close this sequence out, my friend? Well, it looks like the pace should be pretty honest in here. A number of horses that like to be prominent early. I'm hoping number nine, a little and a lot with a move to, from an inside, inside draws in the first two starts to an outside draw and a little bit of a freshening can sit the perfect stalking trip under Jareth Loveberry. I thought this one ran huge in the second career start at Fairgrounds. Did a lot of the dirty work, battled early and was just beaten, but battled along all the way to the wire against Julia's Warrior, who won pretty nicely in that start. Hasn't been seen since then. But this is a pretty wide open event. I did think you could make a case against the 7-2 morning line favorite Patton's War, class dropper for Brad Cox that ran well on uh, in the first couple of starts, but marooned to the far outside and what could be a race with a lot of pace, like I mentioned. I thought speaking of the devil made some sense. I picked for second, dropping in for a high price tag after four starts against Special Weight Company as the tactical speed to find his position has just been underwhelming in the lane when looking to finish the deal, but a little bit of a class drop. And then as a long shot, if they really go at it on the front end, maybe Nick Zito can come running with Vagano. More of an underneath type, I think, but did show a pretty strong turn of foot last time at Oakland on April 8th in a race won by Lundberg, who's also in here. But Lundberg, who was DQ'd in that race, I should say, was in the, on the front end. And I just don't think that trip is going to work in here for that horse. I thought wanted to look to a, maybe a, using a potential horse that could come from the clouds and maybe the Vigano can get Nick Zito his uh, first win of the meet here at Churchill. I love the creativity, and it's not really that hard to see if this thing boils over. I was also thinking the pace would be fast, but the horse I thought would benefit the most from it potentially was the seven-runner Magnificent Mile, who I think will be mid-pack in here, in touch with the field, certainly, but has shown some real closing ability, especially in that last run. I know it was just five and a half, but I like to see those time-form U.S. pace figures increasing throughout and i just thought magnificent mile might be able to get the best trip at all has you know seven starts worth of exposed form but you know this is a comparable group to the one 
that you know just uh, was beat by one length and and i think could get the best of the trips in here so i'll i'll nominate the seven as another to take a look at as we get things wrapped up here scott really appreciate you joining us for this and you know no good deed goes unpunished around here we've got a lot of ktdf and churchill downs sponsorship happening and uh, if you're if you're willing we're going to be bothering you a lot more lately because you always do uh, the, the, the consummate professional job and give us lots of creative stuff to, to think about on these shows. No, glad to be, you know, glad that we're uh, Churchill Downs and whatnot are sponsoring uh, In the Money uh, once again and uh, always here to be bugged, as you would say, quote unquote. I find it enjoying doing these quick run throughs and, uh, you know, going over some stuff. So whenever you need me, Pete, I'm happy to join you. Excellent. And if you need any messaging for anything you're working on over there, any support from the In the Money side, you holler. We've got your back, my friend, and we'll be talking soon. I appreciate it, Pete. Have a good weekend, man. A quick note to let you know that Horse Player Happy Hour is on its way back. Very similar terms to last year. We're going to have $20,000 worth of Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge seats added to the pot. An interconnected contest where you only have to play one week to potentially participate in that prize pool. We're going to have live streams. We're going to have a ton of fun. You can sign up and play at horseplayers.com. Not quite yet. The games aren't up there, but save the date. It's going to be Belmont week. We get this started Thursday of Belmont week. We're going to kick things off. And boy, we are looking forward to having a ton of fun with you. So yeah, save the date. Horseplayers happy hour, making its triumphant return. Next up on the show, we bring you a segment brought to us by our friends at the JRA. JRA Racing on select nights, uh, Saturdays, early morning Sundays, through the entire season. We cover it here on these airwaves. We also cover it over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And a key member of the team doing just that is Alex Henry. Alex, how are things? Doing very well, Pete. Thanks again for having me. Let's look backward before we look forward. The Japanese runners in the Kentucky Derby maybe didn't get the exact results that some of us wanted. But I have to say, as somebody who was a champion of Derma Sotogake from a long way out, I felt like people are making a mistake to say, oh, he didn't fit. I felt like he had a legitimate trip and showed his class by trying. And while he never threatened to uh, be a factor on the win end or anything, I, I thought this was the kind of effort that, you know, made me feel like maybe it was the right move to back him and maybe we just didn't get so lucky. What did you think? I completely agree. Um, I also backed him as well in Mandarin Hero too. Both had troubled running lines indeed. Sixth uh, and twelfth uh, for Derma and for Mandarin Hero respectively is nothing to sneeze at. No shame in that. So I definitely think uh, they're probably a little tired. Um, and I, I know both, all three, including Kitenuar, who didn't get the chance to run, unfortunately, are headed back to Japan. Yeah, I was hoping, based on the troubled run, that they might say, you know what, we might have something here with, with, with Derma especially and take a shot at the Preakness. But I guess they're deciding bigger season uh, targets await and they'll, be, and they'll be heading back there. But who knows? I'm, I'm hoping with the Breeders' Cup in uh, California this year, we could see a strong Japanese contingent turning up there. And, and, we, and we may see uh, several of these horses again, depending on how the rest of the season goes. Have you been following that story? I mean, do you, are you aware of potential Japanese starters for the Breeders' Cup this far out? Or, or is it something that, you know, still needs to develop a bunch? 
I think it needs to develop a little bit more. I know, um, of course, it's fun to speculate, but really, really hoping to see at least one one of these Colts back and at least uh, if not the classic then the dirt mile. Um, that would be wonderful to see. And right now I can tell you that um, at least Derma, Sotagake and Mandarin here are pointed for the uh, Japan Dirt Derby which will uh, be in July and it's over 2000 meters um, at the OE race course. So on the NAR circuit, that secondary circuit. And um, this actually will be the foundation next year. It's really exciting. Next year is going to be the start of the Japanese triple dirt, triple crown series. So uh, not this year, but next year, so something to look forward to and something to follow as well. Yeah. I would hope that the Japanese uh, connections see these results as just another step on the path forward. I, I would be, in the market for a future bet that had, you know, what's the obviously price pending, but you know, the idea of Japan winning a Kentucky Derby in the next 10 years does not seem crazy to me. Does it sound crazy to you? Not at all. And when that day happens, you know, I will be on the roof of my condo building, <laughs> waving flags. <laughs> we get you down in the winter circle. Forget the, forget the condo. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get you coming to the Derby to, to represent. It was great seeing another member of our team, uh, Toshi Onokubo, down there. And um, I, I culturally stereotyped a little bit and thought that uh, being a, a, a sports fan from Japan, he might be a baseball guy, which he was, and had the great fun of introducing him to Paul LaDuca, at which point I got to hear the two of them analyze uh, basically every uh, every Japanese player who'd, who'd rolled through the major leagues in the last 20 years. So that was a very entertaining conversation. But it's it's uh, Toshi's knowledge of baseball nearly equal, equal, I would say, to his knowledge of horse racing. He was remembering the pitching arsenal of, of various guys that I barely remembered. So I was, uh, I, I was pretty impressed with that and love having both of you guys in the extended uh, In the Money family as, as well as uh, Klaus and, uh, and, and Alan. It's, it's just, it's great that as Japanese racing takes this place at the International Four, that we have people with your knowledge um, covering it for us here on the network and really appreciate all the work that you do. Appreciate you as well. <laughs> Let's dive into the big race Saturday night into Sunday morning. We've got uh, uh, top of the line action in the G1 Victoria Mile and some very familiar names in this spot, including my daughter's favorite Japanese runner, Sodashi. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the Victoria Mile? So, you know, full disclosure, I'm currently holding my Sodashi plushie uh, <laughs> as we speak, even though this is audio only. But, you know, this this household, just like your your daughter, Perrin, is we're, we're big fans of Sodashi and we really hope she can pull it pull it out for us this weekend. Um, you know, honestly, she's, her form has been, you know, a little, I can't even say it's been spotty since last year. I mean, she hasn't won since this race last year. She'll be the third horse looking for back-to-back -back wins. Um, but, you know, she's been running against deep competition. I mean, she finished third against males in the great one mile championship last out in November. Um, she, if she's, she's handy, right? So if she gets the slower pace, she's right up there and she could just take over around the turn. I could definitely see her, you know, and, and first, you know, with 200 yards to go, 200 meters to go, excuse me, and coming home to the finish line. I mean, it's possible. I like it. What was the, what's the right price and what price do you think she'll be? I mean, is this one to bet or is this one to, to uphold the plush, plushy and root? I'm going to say this is one to bet because they're actually, I can tell you current odds right now um, from the JRA. Uh, so Sarashi is sitting at 4.5 decimal odds. So she's almost double the price of the current favorite, uh, the number two filly, Stars on Earth, who is a heavy favorite and very well regarded by the Japanese public right now. 
I mean, that sounds to me like it's reasonable. Now, obviously, in our B pools with the famous name, you don't know which direction the market's going to go. B pools, in other words, these markets that we're talking about are not the same as the ones that will form through our friends at Woodbine. But it's definitely something to take a look at. Who else is on your short list? There's a lot of horses catching some money early in this market. Indeed. So to go back to Stars on Earth, so... She's a Durmenti filly um, out of a smart strike mare named Southern Stars. So she's special. So she nearly won the a Japanese uh, turf filly triple crown last year, but faltered in the last leg, uh, the Shuka show in October. And, you know, she you know took that in stride and they rested her up until the grade one Osaka high against males this past April over 2000 meters. So about a mile and a quarter. And she finished second to Jack DeOr, who is widely regarded as at least top three, top four older males in the Japanese circuit right now on turf. So that's nothing to sneeze at. She, her form truly is, is raging right now. And, you know, she won um, over 1600 meters, a grade one race, the Oka show. That's the first leg of the Philly triple crown last year. So she can get the distance. So she'll be formidable for sure. And I actually do have a long shot play. If you don't mind. Um, I have, (laughs) yeah, I think you'll like this one. Rouge Styria. Rouge Styria. She's a four-year-old filly by Deep Impact out of a Stormcat mare. And, you know, honestly, she needed some time, you know, mentally, physically uh, to kind of get things together. She showed her precautiousness. She broke her maiden in August of 2021 as a two-year-old, but then they kind of put her on the shelf until March of 2022. They thought she might be able to go the Philly Triple Crown route as a three-year-old last year, but she kind of finished sixth in, in a prep, a grade two prep called the Tulip Show, and then brought her back again before the Oaks. And she finished a disappointing 15th in the Flora Stakes over a mile and a quarter. And so they backed off until September and kind of brought her through uh, the JRA's like allowance ranks. So like, you know, non-winners of one, non-winners of two. Japan also has a non-winners of three, actually. And so she's been uh, ha- been going on a three race win-, win streak, excuse me, on that allowance circuit and, um, you know, didn't acquitted herself well in a grade two race last time out in April. So after a bad trip. Uh, so I think honestly, she could be 20, 30. Uh, right now she's sitting at 27.7 decimal odds. So she could be pretty, pretty juicy and has a shot. <laughs> Love that idea. I want to ask about a runner. We talked about a bunch on these airwaves last year in Songline. What's been up with Songline and, and how does Songline fit with this group? She definitely fits. She's formidable. Now a five-year-old mare out of uh, by Kasuna out of a deep impact mare. So she won the Yasuda Kanen in last June over this distance a mile in mixed company. You know she beat Chanel Meister, Salios. You know these these amazing males uh, who are great milers. And she hasn't quite uh, won since she finished fifth in the Centaur Stakes in September over uh, six. Uh, 1,200 meters, excuse me, six furlongs. And um, according to the memo um, on humanity.jp, you can translate that um, using a Google Translator, Papago. Uh, And the translated memo said, the jockey said that he felt it was a little bit too short for her. So a mile pretty much should hit her between the ears and uh, she should find this trip and distance well on Saturday night for us. Interesting. I mean, there was some talk last year at one point in the year of Songline coming over for a race like the Breeders' Cup Mile, and I think that was uh, derailed by by one setback or another. But the, this is the kind of form that is, is worth paying attention to if you're any kind of 
international racing fan, it, worth staying up late or at the very least waking up in the morning, maybe have your bet before you go to bed um, and then wake up in the morning and watch and see what you did. I have a feeling you'll be staying up late. Is that, that That's my guess. That that's correct. I, last last week uh, was another uh, grade one mile race uh, for three year olds, and I after Derby, I I went to bed. Honestly, I put the bets in and I went to bed. But no, this weekend, nothing, no excuses. I'm up until till the cows come home. So I or wake expect, up, I guess. I, <laughs> I expect nothing less from someone who uh, taught themselves um, some basic Japanese just to play Japanese video games and learn about oh, Japanese horse racing. So that, that, that you're, 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 you're staying very true to the brand. Uh, yes. And just a quick plug, winning, new winning post, winning post 10 came out a couple of weeks ago. So if you have PC switch, PS5, PS4, you can play. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there a good, um, is anybody doing, is anybody rocking that on, on a Twitch channel or anything? This, this could be a project for you. You know, I may, if I have time later in the summer, I may start a Twitch channel just to, just to do that. No English speakers right now, but there are a couple of Japanese speaking Twitch channels and YouTubers that, that do, uh, do playthroughs. So That's I'm going to awesome. have to jump in. Yeah. <laughs> Folks can find more of your work at inthemoneypodcast.com in terms of selections and the past performances that come out on Saturday. Where else can folks find your work? Absolutely. I'm on Twitter at HMLAA, also on Instagram with the same handle, uh, less horse stuff, more cat stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm around in Detroit. <laughs> great job. Alex, always a pleasure having you. Let's talk soon. Thanks, Pete. Have a good Live racing continues at Belmont Park this weekend. Saturday's card is packed with three graded stakes headlined by the grade one man of war, also featuring two grade threes, the Peter Pan and the Run Happy. Watch live from home on America's Day at the Races on FS2. Saturday Fox coverage from Belmont Park begins at 12.30 Eastern. For showtimes and the Belmont TV schedule, please visit inthemoneypodcast.com slash TV. Also, tickets to the Belmont Stakes are now on sale at belmontstakes.com, and you can get free Belmont Park Equibase PPs at naira.com. We are in the midst of the Hollywood meet at Santa Anita Park that goes through June 18th, and there's a lot of fun stuff Coming up and continuing, go to santanita.com slash events to check out what they've got going on for Preakness Day. Spent several Preakness Days out at Santa Anita. Amazing place. If you're not going to be in Baltimore, get yourself to Santa Anita. There's going to be a $1,500 Preakness Stakes Challenge that day. You can play at Santa Anita Park or expressbet.com. And speaking of contests, lots of other fun stuff. There's the low rollers, Saturdays and Sundays, the $40 handicapping challenge. You play on site as well as uh, some other really fun stuff like the Showviver contest. To learn much more, go to santaanita.com slash contest. And remember, Santa Anita has a free live stream, which you can check out at santaanita.com slash live. Last but not least, we bring in two of my favorite Southern California handicappers, though both have East Coast bona fides as well, to talk about the last five races at Santa Anita on Saturday. First, the man who you read regularly over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, where he has developed quite a following. He is Dean Kepler. Dean, how are things? Other than the derby stuff we were talking about off air, is everything else going well? Everything's doing great, Pete. Uh, happy to be jumping back into Santa Anita here. So, um Hopefully we can, uh, you know, shift out some winners here in the late pick five. I did love your line though when I asked you about your tough beat in the Derby um, that you'll never, you'll never uh, bet again. How long do you think that'll last? Yeah, probably about uh, I'd say until this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> 
We also bring in a man who uh, Dean used to edit along with myself in his role at Daily Racing Forum. Very familiar. We've been fortunate to have him on these airwaves uh, covering this Hollywood meet at Santa Anita. You know him for the matrices he also does over at SantaAnita.com. He's Frank Scatoni. Frank, what's up, man? How's it going, Pete? Good work by you on that uh, on on that grid. You you know he didn't didn't fully deliver, but man, the level of analysis that you put in on those things and and you know day in day out really does uh, you know stand out as far as those kind of horse by horse write ups go. Really well, uh, really good work. We were happy to have you part of the team as well. Thank thank you for that. Yeah, we were looking good going into the Derby, but as I was joking with Spencer last week when I when you were in Kentucky and couldn't couldn't host, I was guesting with him. I said I, I'm so I'm so glad that Pete asked me to do the the Derby Matrix because um, honestly I haven't I haven't picked a Derby winner since Silver Charm so <laughs> looks like that streak continued because I did not have Mage I had I had five horses going into the Derby all for very nice payoffs in the late in that uh, in that Derby Day pick four but uh, couldn't quite close it but you know back at it again we'll see what see if we can uh, shake it off and and come back with some winners today. Were you up at Santa Anita watching the actual derby? Is that something that you something you do? I was, I was, I was up there with my girlfriend Terry, and we had a great time. You know, Quigley is uh, is one of the best hosts in racing, so they always show us a good time when we go up there, uh, hanging out in the Logan and uh, just bouncing around. And the, the the vibe was awesome. So many people were into it. Santa Anita did a really great job uh, putting on the simulcast uh, feed for Santa Anita, and then of course there was you know. Uh, the the live racing there all day. So it was an amazing day. A little too early for me. I, I'll admit I didn't get there for first post at seven, but you know, I got there <laughs> enough to see all the good stakes races. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's just un, un, uncivilized. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. But the, the part of the ad that I just read was how Santa Anita is also excited about hosting people for Preakness. And we did that a few years in a row Back in the old podcast uh, days when we were DRF affiliated, we went out there and, and did Preakness at Santa Anita. And if you can't make it to Baltimore, I'll just reiterate that that is not a bad way to fly. All right, boys, let's get in to the matter at hand. And that is this late pick five on Saturday at Santa. We start off with race number five at 6.03 Eastern. And it's a maiden race for uh, three to five age runners going six furlongs on the turf. Dean, we will turn to you for some guidance on what numbers should be on our tickets. Yeah, guys, there's uh, six uh, runners making their first start in here. And as much as I wanted to consider one in the top slot, I just couldn't find any uh, trainers that had um, any solid numbers with first-time starters sprinting on turf here. So I went to the horses here that have experience, um, nothing particularly uh, interesting. You know, the five here, the morning line favorite, Joe Bonaccio, coming off that 79 buyer, uh, looks real solid here. It's back-to-back runner-up efforts. Makes his third start off the bench today for Team O'Neill. He's going to be on my top ticket here. Uh, my second choice is also a horse coming out of the same race, Neon Lights, who makes his third stateside start. Uh, he's by Profitable, who was a uh, grade one winning sprinter overseas. I think he should improve here as well. And my third selection is uh, I'm going to throw one of the first-time starters in here. That's number nine, Act Three, by Kittens Joy, who's been prepping in the morning for a very long time. It's Hoffman. It, uh, he reaches out Hernandez in here. Uh, perhaps you know this horse has some ability here based on his his morning workouts. And then I guess on a more spread of a ticket to six, Yogi Boy comes off a horrible trip on March 26th. 
makes his second start off a long layoff here. And I, I guess he'd be one to throw on the tickets as well. But for me, it'll be a five, uh, eight, nine here. Interesting. Yeah, that act three has an interesting pedigree for sure. Um, and I would say just watch that one closely because if the six furlongs ends up being a little bit too sharp, might be one that can stretch out down the line. But who knows, based on that May 7th workout, Act 3 may be ready to uh, win at first asking. Frank, let's bring you in for your thoughts on this one. Where are you zeroing in? Yeah, tr- tricky race. Like like Dean said, a bunch of first-time starters. But I will say thank you to Santa Anita for at least making this the first leg of the late pick five because we can – Get some clues by looking at them in the paddock or following, you know, Tom Quigley's tweets at Quigley's Corner uh, or even looking at the toad action. So we have some clues that we can go on. But even still, I thought this was a very tough race. Um, I hear everything Dean's saying about number five, Giovinazzo, but I was going to go a little differently and try to take try to take Giovinazzo on, on the A-line. So I was looking to... Um, Number six, Yogi Boy. D mentioned this horse had a bad trip. Uh, absolutely. He was coming off a, a November 2021 layoff last time. He definitely ran like a short horse. He took no money at 33 to one. I don't think they were trying that day. The race is excusable. Stumbled badly at the start. He was rank. He was never comfortable behind horses. Had a little traffic trouble in the lane. Now, granted, he didn't show any late punch. But at the same time, he never stopped running. The horse tried all the way to the wire. So I think he's going to get a lot out of that. I love that Smith takes over for Herrera. I think that's the sneaky play in here at 5-1. to one. So number six, Yogi Boy will be an A. And then I'll, I'll use another A in here. And I know it sounds a little counterintuitive, but I've actually done pretty well with this angle. I really like five-year-old first-time starters. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but my, my point is, why bother starting a horse's career at five unless you thought the horse could win a race? And why not have that horse fully cranked if you waited so long, you know, to get this horse to the races? You've been so patient. Bring the horse fully cranked for the first start. So I was looking at number one, Hula Candy, a first-time starter for John Sheriffs. I know he never wins first out, um, but, you know, never say never. Uh, I thought that horse was a little sneaky. They paid 290000 for that horse back in the day. They leg up Joe Bravo, who's riding, you know, really well out here. I think that horse could be sneaky as well. Uh, so those will be my two A's. And then I'm going to go a little spready on the B line. I'm going to use number two, Watsonville. I will use number five, Giovinazzo. I will also use number eight, Neon Lights, and number nine, Act Three. Uh, just really, really tough race and just, you know, hope to get out of here alive because anything could happen. More clues to come from the Tote and Paddock, as Frank notes, but some good ideas for some price runners there, for sure. Race number six is a $32,000 claimer for three and up, going five and a half on the dirt. Frank, we'll throw the ball right back in your court. What numbers to get out of this one? Yeah, you know, I had a hard time with this race. There's a lot of, there's a lot of speed in here, but then again, none of the off-the-pace runners looked very appealing to me. So I was going to just use the the, the two speediest of the speeds as my A's and, uh, you know, envision them running one, two around the track. And that's number one book smart. Uh, he was a top pick for me last time and a starter allowance on the turf. I thought he'd get a slower, be able to set a slower pace than he did two back, but now he went too fast too early and he wilted. Uh, you know, that kind of seems to be his MO, but he now draws the rail. He drops in class. He moves from turf to dirt. These are all very good angles for Mark Latt. I think, you know, and his and this horse's best races have been on dirt. So if Franco gets this horse out of the gate, 
uh, makes the lead in this short sprint race. You know, it could be over before it even starts. And then I, I also, um, you know, I talked about that five-year-old angle in maiden races. It almost, you know, it, it also applies uh, for me with lightly raced horses coming off long layoffs. You know, clearly number three, Run Snappy, has some physical issues. But the fact that they are still wanting to race him after all those setbacks suggests to me that they think this guy can still win a race. So Sadler brings this horse off a long layoff, runs a horse for 32,000, dropping in class. Horse has speed, gets a seven pound weight break. Uh, so I could see a world in which the one and the three just won one, two around the track. And if they happen to duel each other into submission and wilt, then I'm looking at number four, Golden Spa, and number five, Susie Q's brother to come and pick up the pieces. So I'll use those two as my Bs. All right, one, three on the top line, four, five on the bottom line. One other thing I'll mention about a runner um, like this uh, very long layoff horse run snappy, you'll be able to look into the doubles and see if this horse is taking any money at all. This is one who I feel I feel like if is live will probably have a hint of money. And if it's just some giant long shot, maybe this is the leg stretcher. So you can get try to get a little bit of signal with that. Would you agree, Frank, would run snappy be one you'd want to see bet a little bit? Um. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see some money on the horse, but at the same time, I think a lot of people just might be scared off that huge layoff and, right. and the drop. So, um, you know, I'm not going to get off the horse if the horse isn't bet, but I agree with you. I mean, this is so smart always, uh, not just in this situation, but it's always smart to look at the doubles to kind of see who's taking money, horses that you might might have ignored or horses that you think um, – you weren't going to take as much money are taking more money and you get an idea of who the favorites are, what your payouts might be. I think anytime you can have more information, you know, for, for, uh, forewarned is forearmed. So yeah, yes. always look at the double pays whenever you're constructing your tickets and trying to figure out a move forward. But um, yeah, I see your point. Like if this horse was totally dead on the board, then, you know, be a little scared, but again, I'm not going to get off the horse because of that. No, that's good info that, you know, you, you're, you're believing in what you're seeing on the paper and you'll stick, stick to the guns. Dean, let's bring you in to see what you think of this field of seven. Yeah, I don't have much to add. Uh, I also had number one book smart as my topic here. Uh, my only concern is, as Frank mentioned, there may be a lot of speed in here between him, Ron Snappy, who's coming off, you know, a long layoff here. Um, and also maybe the six Midnight Lightning has also showed speed as well, especially if you toss that last grass race. His effort two back over the main track was, uh, you know, a sharp, sharp speed effort, finishing second that day. But one, the number one book smart will be my top pick. My second pick will be perhaps number four, Golden Spa, who may be sitting in the ideal spot here if these guys go crazy out there and could be an ideal stalking trip for uh, for Doug O'Neill and pick up all the pieces. But my top pick will be number one, uh, book smart. It'll be one, four, six for me. All right, one, four, and six for Dean as we pivot to our seventh race on this Santa Anita Saturday card. We go to the grass for this three-year-old Calbred allowance, six furlongs on the turf and a field of nine going postward. No overwhelming choice on the morning line. A bunch of horses in that seven to two, five to one range. Are you, Dean, looking for one towards the top of the market or looking to reach for something at more of a price? Yeah, this was a really tough race for me, but, um, after going over it several times, I landed on the, the number one devil among us who didn't show much in his grass debut back in November of last year, but is likely to show more today, returning back to the grass for D'Amato, who usually does well um, with his dirt to turf runners here. And I have to think that there's, uh, you know, he's got the affinity for the grass here. 
has good positional speed, draws the whale, and attracts the Hernandez back on today. So he'll be my top pick in here. Uh, I also like number six, Irish Royalty, who ships in from Golden Gate uh, in top form here, having won two straight over the synthetic footing. He's by Grayson, who uh, gets 16% with his turf sprint runners here. So the switch should be uh, no problem here. My only um, hesitation here, you know, it's a top barn, but they're 0 for 16. They're you know, clicking close to 30%, but they're 0 for 16 here at Santa Anita, which is somewhat of a concern. Um, my third pick is number nine, barely functional, steps up up a sharp, sharp maiden grass sprint win, but he looks like he fits well here. I'm going to go 169 here. Yeah, I think sometimes those barn stats, like I'd be more concerned about a number like that in an open race than a Calbred race somehow. But I guess with Formulator, you can dive through and really parse it. But, uh, you know, for a horse that you like, I wouldn't necessarily take that over 16 mark and, and make too much of it. Frank, what do you think about that specific idea um, of downgrading a barn with the local struggles? And who do you like in race number seven? Yeah, well, I was going to actually uh, talk about number six Irish royalty as, as one of my top picks as well. You know, in years past, you could, you know, pretty much X out these Golden Gate horses. Uh, but parity is more the order of the day now. And there are some really, really good horsemen up there. You know, I do the Golden Hour pick four uh, every day. So I've followed that circuit a lot more closely in the last couple of years. And really good trainer trainer group, really good jockey colony. Uh, some really good competitive races up there. So, you know, like I said, in years past, you could pretty much, you know, even when they were trained by Hollendorfer, when they'd ship down here, you'd usually draw a line through them and they'd, they'd struggle. But it's not the, not that case anymore. Uh, and like Dean said, you know, Reed France is a very, very good trainer, wins a lot of races, may have struggled a little bit on this circuit, but he's a smart guy. Uh, the fact that he is bothering to ship this horse down here when there's a ton of ton of races up at Golden Gate that this horse, you know, could run in, um, that kind of confidence shows me that he he thinks this horse can be very competitive on what I, uh, on on the Santa Anita circuit and moving to turf. Um, so I, I think that horse has a really big shot. You know, the horse is also in for the 50k tag optional. So what a payday that would be. You know, win the purse, <clears throat> horse gets claimed, and uh, for a horse that you claim for 12.5, that's uh. That's a nice return on your investment right there. So no I thought number six, Irish Royalty, had a really, really good chance. Um, and also, he just seems to be, you know, if, if you're a speed figure guy, he's, you know, probably the fastest horse in the race based on, on that metric. Uh, the other horse I was going to mention, uh, Dean already mentioned, was number one, Devil Among Us. Uh, I think this horse can adapt to whatever pace scenario happens. He's fast enough to make the lead if Hernandez wants it. And if they decide to go too fast, he can kind of just suck back and save ground on the rail, um, wait for a hole to open up. So I thought number one could trip out really well, either on the lead alone or, you know, kind of just stalking a, a quick pace if others decide to go. So those are my two A's, one and the six. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence, though. I thought this was a really tough race. You know, a lot of times these Calbred entry-level allowance races are, are pretty tricky uh, to handicap. So I was also going to use the two, five and nine as, as B's just to have a little bit of coverage in a race where I don't have a strong opinion. I think that's a very sensible approach as we move to race number eight, where we have a short field, just five runners here. Um, we are going for an allowance race, six furlongs on the dirt, 
dirt, excuse me, and this is the return to the races after 413 days of uh, of Mr. Freeze, uh, Dr. Scheibel. And then we also have another very famous runner in uh, CZ Rocket, scratched out of a race at Churchill last weekend to compete here instead. Um, what's going to be your approach to this one, Frank? Will it be one of those top two, or can we get something involved at a little bit uh, longer down the line? Yeah, this is so tricky because, you know, <clears throat> Dr. Scheibel is definitely, in my opinion, the most talented horse in the race, but clearly bigger fish to fry down the road uh, with that graded stakes form. So uh, it's probably just a prep, but you know, this is the kind of horse who could still win, even though it's just a prep, you know, and I do trust Mark Glatt, you know, he always brings his horses back ready to run. Uh, Not necessarily this horse has to have a top effort, but I, you know, the horse, the horse will be ready to run. Uh, But the question is, you know, do you single Dr. Scheibel or because I, I don't see I don't see a world in which I would use both the one and the four and CZ Rocket. We talked about this uh, two weeks ago. I think you either have to take a stand with the favorite in a short field or you just toss the favorite and try to beat the favorite. Because if you use the one and the four, you're instantly diluting your ticket on the horse, the two horses who are going to take all the money and more than likely be on everyone's ticket. So um, right now I'm leaning towards just singling Dr. Scheibel and, you know, hoping to get out of here and catch some prices along the way. Uh, but there's also part of me that thinks I might want to drop a ticket where, you know, I use my A selections and maybe use every horse in this race except Dr. Scheibel and see if I can get clever and, uh, you know, in case he is just prepping and uh, not fully cranked, maybe catch something really, really crazy because, I mean, clearly if Dr. Scheibel loses and CZ Rocket loses, that's how you're really going to get paid in the sequence. But uh, I couldn't tell you who one of those other horses would be, to be honest with you. It's just a really, really tough race. And this is more where strategy, I think, and ticket construction comes into play more than anything else. For sure. And it requires definitely making an investment because uh, I'm going to guess you don't want to do that strategy playing your Dr. Shival bets at, at the same denomination as you do those backups, right? For me, this would be the kind of ticket where you want to take 80% of your money maybe and run it through Dr. Shival and then just have a much more narrow 10, 15, 20% of your money running through that upset scenario. So you don't end up upside down as yes. it were losing all that equity. If your top pick wins, am I, am I explaining hundred percent? Yeah. I mean, 80, maybe even 90% of your action goes through Dr. Shival and you know, you want to lump, you want to lump and play those tickets uh, for a lot more than just the 50 cent minimum. Uh, if you, you know, if you can afford it, as much as, you know, hit that repeat button as much as you want. Um, and then, yeah, you, then you could play, you know, maybe a dollar pick four coming back with just your A's and A's in the other races. And then just, you know, the, the other four horses in here, just kind of keep it tight, lean and mean. If something crazy happens in this race and you happen to be right about your A's, you know, the pick five will play, pay pretty darn good. The repeat button record holder, as far as I know, still Drew Coatney from that Breeders' Cup <laughs> betting challenge, having to bet all that money on Flightline at whatever the max they'd allow him, 500. Yeah, it was 500, and he had he had bet 90,000 at 500 at the time. There's got to be a better way, people. Dean, <laughs> let's bring you in for your thoughts on uh, this star-studded eighth race. Yeah, I wish I had something creative, but I, I think the race just runs you know, through the one and the four here. Um, perhaps, as Frank suggested, heavy on the one. CZ Rocket is now nine-year-old gelding, closing in on, you know, $2 million in career earnings. You know, a fabulous horse. He's had a fabulous career. 
He usually runs well, you know, um, off the uh, freshening here. But, you know, he's traveling across the, across the world. And, you know, perhaps, you know, like I said, as a nine-year-old, he maybe has lost a step. But I just don't think there's anywhere else to go. I mean, if you're going to get creative, maybe the other Peter Miller uh, entry in here, number two, none above the law, is a great two winner. Um, also coming off the mini, mini freshening. But I just don't think his numbers match up to the one in four uh, on their best days or even somewhat of their best days. So I really can't go past those two here. One more race to cover, just a couple of minutes to do it. Hopefully we don't have to give it short shrift, though. It's the grade three San Luis Ray going a mile and a half to close things out in a field of eight going postward. We've got a fairly significant favorite here, Dean, in the form of Awfully Naughty, according to the morning line, coming off that grade two Whittingham win back on April 8th. Are you with or against? I'm going to try to beat uh, number four Awfully Naughty here. Not, not with anything very creative, but... Number three, Dicey Mochara, didn't have the smoothest of trips in the grade three San Francisco mile at Golden Gate in his most recent start, but is back at San Anita Turf Course, where he's a multiple winner. He stretches back out, I think, to a more desirable distance today. Has Hernandez back in the saddle. I think he has a good chance to turn the tables on Awfully Naughty, um, who certainly, you know, can't be knocked entirely here. He figures another horse I'd use perhaps is uh, Planetario number two. Hasn't been out since June of last year, but it's a grade one winner over in Brazil. And this Mandela barn has just been firing on all cylinders so far this meet. I think he's one to throw in there. But, uh, you know, most of my tickets are going to run through here. Number three, Dicey Chara, who I think could get the jump on Awfully Naughty here and turn the tables. I get Planetario for sure based on that uh... – that, that first run, you know, it was a long time ago, 329 days, but definitely showed more ability, I think, than the raw running line suggests, given being up against the pace. And, you know, Mandela, one of those trainers you can typically trust implicitly in spots like this, especially when he's going well. Frank, how about you? What are we going to use to close this thing out and wrap the show? Yeah. Um, I was super impressed with Awfully Naughty's race last time. He was way off the pace the glacial pace. I mean, we talk about, you know, racing flow and all that stuff. Minus 346, Pete. So you know how slow they were going. And this horse was seven lengths back. And he just came on with an incredible run. Um, always had some good back class, finally putting it all together. I can see this horse taking another step forward, especially with the added ground. So I am definitely using number four, awfully naughty. Nothing clever there. But I will try to get a little clever with another A. Um, you know, I just kept coming back to number seven midcourt. You know, he was a very good handicap horse on the dirt earlier in his career. He's a seven-year-old now. He's coming off a year-plus layoff. Um, the question is, is he looking to reinvent himself as a, as a turf horse now, or is he maybe just prepping for, uh, you know, the, the Gold Cup? I honestly don't know, but I do think Franco will be very aggressive in this spot. There's not a lot of speed in here. Um, you know, this horse has shown dirt speed in the past. If you can get this horse on the lead, get him to settle. There's a ton of class here. And I will also say this, you know, CRK, who owns this horse, uh, had a horse named Exalted, who wasn't quite as good as midcourt and, you know, had run some very good races on dirt and had always been thought very highly of, but never really put it all together on dirt. They decided to try the turf as an experiment, and the horse has now won two turf races and uh, stakes races. And you know, maybe maybe they think Lightning can strike twice with with midcourt. Um, and also, you know, I use optics. If you go all the way back to this horse's second start in his career, there's an optics notes that actually suggested that a move to turf might benefit this horse. Interesting. Um, 
yeah. So, um, so I'm going to be a little sneaky with midcourt there. And then, you know, I think all the other horses that Dean mentioned, number two, Planetario, number three, Dicey, Mochara. I'll use those as Bs. And then if you want a really fun angle, my buddy Casey Ergens loves this angle. We call it the Scatoni off angle. It's a horse <laughs> that I bet multiple, multiple times, and I finally decide to get off the horse, and the horse wins. And that's number six, Agatino. I don't think he's in this class, but I bet this horse every U.S. start and the horse has had horrible trips and just hasn't been able to put it together for me. Um, I'm not going to bet him today, but if you know, want to throw a couple of bucks on him, he'll be a long shot in the year. We appreciate you giving, giving, you know, trading off the Scatoni. Many people would, would bury that, bury that fact. You know, it's interesting at first blush on the pedigree, you know, I don't see turf for midcourt. I'm still interested as a, um, still very much interested as the pace play. But then you dig into the pedigree. The midnight, midnight loot is actually not bad. Just average turf sire. Not bad at all as an influence. And you look at some of the Mayo on the side siblings, and they're not bad at all. You look at the aggregate record of those siblings on turf, and um, they're, it's kind of rock-solid turf routing. Four for 27, high buyer speed figure of just an 81. But still, the, these horses are, are, you know, this pedigree could be competent on the green. I like that as a potential long shot angle. And I think you might get more than, than the six to one though. Who knows the pace players may mean six to one is may mean you're lucky to get six to one, but really appreciate all the creativity and insight you guys bring to the table, not just on this show today, but on the fantastic work you do. Both of your work can be found regularly through Santanita.com um, under what's the tab called that you guys are under there. Do you want, does one of you know off the top of your head? Yeah, it's under the wagering tab experts. Yes. And you can also go to frankscatoni.com. <laughs> That's right. I meant to plug the brand new frankscatoni.com is a place to catch up with all of Frank's writing. If you want to just, if you're interested in just really well-written thoroughbred analysis, make sure to go back and look at all Dean's stuff on inthemoneypodcast.com. And, you know, the, the, the horse by horse stuff, I think is in particularly for newer and novice players. You know, when you get to read the analysis of every single horse in the race, I don't, I, I think you can't help but learn something, honestly. So check it out, people. Guys, we'll have you both back very soon. Really appreciate you, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We want to thank all of today's guests. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org slash players, to find out more about the work they do. Most of all, want to thank all of you for listening. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.